Welcome to our Market Narrative series. I'm Julia Newbold, Managing Editor at Connexus Financial. Today we're talking about PGM's latest megatrends publication, Food for Thought, with Jacob Wilhelmus. Jacob is Director of PGM's thematic research group, responsible for PGM's flagship publication, Megatrends, examining broad secular forces reshaping economies and societies, and the implications for investors and their portfolios. Prior to joining PGM, Jacob spent over seven years at the Milken Institute as a director in international finance and macroeconomics, and later as head of the finance and technology program. In these roles, his work focused on topics relating to financial risk, credit markets, and the economics of public and private equity. Jacob, thank you for joining me today. I can't wait to start hearing all about this latest megatrend that you and your team have uncovered. Thank you, Julianne. It's really great to be here. Now, Jacob, food has always been essential for us all. So why are you choosing to focus on it now as a megatrend for investors? So, Julia, as you said, right, food is essential. And right now, everyone is watching food price inflation. But not enough attention is paid to the fact that our food system is at a critical turning point. And really, over the next years, the food system will have to become more productive and more sustainable. And there are really two main challenges. One is that our current food system is outdated. In fact, the last major tech disruption to the food system happened in the 1960s during the Green Revolution. And today, 60 years later, many of the processes and ways we produce food are still based on that innovation. And then second, while these forms and innovation of production really helped us meet past challenges, their impact on the environment and climate change have been devastating. And so going forward, agriculture not only needs to adapt to climate change, but it also has to reduce its own environmental impact. So in short, the food system will have to become more productive and more sustainable, which will create investment opportunities all across the food value chain. And that is really why we think the topic should be top of mind for investors. Now, Jacob, when we spoke before, you spoke about um, the green revolution of the 60s, and you've said that you know no, nothing's really changed since then. So can you take us back to then and, and explain what happened? The green revolution was really the starting point of modern agriculture. And similar to our current situation, food demand was growing exponentially, and there was little hope that food production and the food system that was in place back then would be able to meet demand um, to the point where the idea of widespread starvation was a real concern. And the breakthrough that really changed that was crop science. So for the first time in the 1960s, scientists started to develop more efficient seed and crop varieties, particularly wheat and rice, that really led to an explosion in overall production, which together with the use of fertilizers and pesticides was large enough to meet the challenges of the time. And for investors, sort of a key message of our report is that we are in a similar situation today and need a new food revolution. When we look at the demand for food across the globe, do we need to be aware of any specific changes? So when you look at the forces shaping food demand today, the underlying trend is 
really the globalization of diets. And there are two key aspects to it. One is, unlike the past, future population growth will really be concentrated in lower income regions, such as Sub-Saharan Africa and South Asia. And here it's important to understand that population growth means more of the same food, while income means different food. And when we say different food, it's really, as your income increases, you desire more meat and you want more convenience food. And so given that the concentration of population growth will be in these regions, income and the demand for meat and other resource-intense foods will be key to understanding future demand. And then the second factor is really the converging of diets towards the so-called Western diet, which refers to a diet that is high in meat, in wheat, sugar, and fat. And we can all see it in our personal eating habits, which are much different than our parents' generation. But what is a little bit overlooked is the fact that why our food tastes more international and feels and looks more diverse, more and more of our calories are really coming from those four ingredients, meat, wheat, sugar, and fat. And so all across the world, really, diets are converging to that so-called Western diet. And so the bottom line is really converging diets together with growing affluence are altering our food demand dramatically. And what does this mean um, to investment implications? There are many investment implications around the changes of food. Um, But maybe the one that I want to highlight is cold storage and transportation because it is really taking advantage of the whole megatrend and the demand drivers of both converging diets and growing affluence. And so when you think about it, really, one one impact is that the distance from where we grow our food to where it is consumed is becoming ever larger. But at the same time, more and more of that food is reliant on a consistent cold chain. And just think about meat, think about fruits, or almost anything that we buy in the supermarket. And so that is a trend that is well underway in the U.S., and Europe and Australia, but driven by the convergence of diets, it has really taken off in Asia and Latin America. And so one aspect of this investment implication that we really like is that it is, it's a global investment theme that is independent of any specific product or brands, and investors can play it directly through equity or debt, um, in companies such as Nichire, which specializes in temperature-controlled logistics in Asia, or Frialsa, which is a code logistics operator in Latin America, as well as through direct investment in real estate, cold storage warehouses, or cold logistics. And what about packaging? Packaging is one of the many other trends. Um, that are also very much driven by both the convergence of diets and growing affluence. So there's increase, and just thinking about our daily lives, right? More and more of the food that is shipped needs packaging, but also more and more of the convenience food that we desire needs packaging. It 
needs innovative ways of packaging. So packaging is another big trend that is a big investment implication that is not limited by a specific product or a specific brand. Um, Jacob, the Page and Megatrends report on food for thought has a contrarian take about the consumption of more animal-based meat than plant-based meat. Can you tell us more about this trend? Absolutely. And uh, to give it away, sort of really, besides all the hype and the headlines, alternative meat really is no threat to animal-based meat. And so that is our take. And it's based on two, two facts. First, as discussed, growing meat consumption is a big part of the demand drivers. And to put it a little bit into context, the global meat market is around one7 trillion dollars and is still set to grow by 14 or around 14 percent by 2030 in comparison to alternative meat which is less than a percent of that 1.7 trillion and growth rates are at best flat if not declining and so that sort of takes us to the second fact which is really that it's really really hard to change consumer preferences in fact, most of, most of us and most consumers are not willing to compromise on taste, the texture of their food or price. And so combined, this really makes meat producers an attractive investment opportunity. And investment, investing in alternatives is a disappointment until they are really able to meet the challenges of both taste and cost. Wow. Jacob, we're looking at the story so far of changing demand, but what's the situation with supply? So the supply side really takes us back to um, meeting future demand while addressing the impact agriculture has on the environment. And a big consideration here is what we in the report call the feedback loop between the environment and agriculture. And most of us, we are well aware of the impact climate change has on agriculture and on crop yields. But what is often overlooked is the impact agriculture has on the environment and to what extent it has an impact. And just to sort of throw out a few stats, um, agriculture alone is responsible for 30% of all of our uh, greenhouse gas emissions and 70% of freshwater use. Okay. And that is really why investors should think about the food system very similar to the energy sector of a few decades ago. We cannot live without it, but its environmental impact is devastating. And so the only solution is to invest in the technology and innovation that will allow us to grow productivity and reduce these negative externalities. And Jacob, how is the production and distribution of food being affected by geopolitical unrest, like the war in Ukraine, for example? So the war in Ukraine has really highlighted how, on the one hand, our food system is global, but it's also very concentrated. So in the case of Ukraine, it is wheat. But if you look at the export of the four major grains, which are wheat, corn, soybean, and rice, it really is only a handful of countries that are responsible for the majority of exports. And for all of the four, it's well above 70%. But for example, for soybean, 
over 90% of all exports come from only five countries. And so any disruption to just one of these countries has far-reaching implications all across the globe. And so as a result, investors really need to consider the impact of food prices on emerging and frontier markets. Because in countries where food makes up a large percentage of consumer spending, food price inflation can have destabilizing effects. And we have all seen that during the Arab Spring, which in large parts was caused by rising bread prices. And so going forward, these events and disruptions will only increase in frequency and investors really need to pay close attention when they consider country risk and country ratings and need to take into account how we lie, how, how dependent each country is on the global food system. And when you look at the increasing um, consumption of meat that you spoke about, what countries are we looking at for that? On the demand or on the on the supply? supply. Well, both actually. So on the on the supply side, really one of the big cases that we make is you need on the one you need scale. So economies of scale are very important, and you need a global network. And so most of the big international global meat producers are in North America, Latin America, as well as Australia. And so that is more sort of when you look at it from the supply side, that is where supply is going to come from. And when you look at the demand side, it really is countries that currently have a large part of the population that is not able to afford meat. Right? And that takes us back to sub-Saharan Africa and South Asia, where people are just sort of entering into that middle income category where finally they can reduce more and more part of their plate that might have gone to vegetable or beans or rice with meat. Um, And where are some of the investment opportunities that you see now and arising in the near future? So if we go back to the supply side, it really is about innovation and technology. So the most attractive investment opportunities are around increasing production and becoming more sustainable. And again, crop science will be a key to achieve that for two reasons. On the one hand, a big challenge as mentioned going forward is climate change and how it is affecting different regions. So adapting seeds to specific specific regions and their climate challenges will allow farmers to be able to increase crop yields and meat demand. And then on the other other hand, the replacement of traditional fertilizers and pesticides by so-called biologicals is only a matter of time. And so biologicals are really um, new innovative replacements for fertilizers and pesticides that tap into natural processes and methods. So the impact on the environment are much, much less. And so the investment opportunity is really with global market leaders such as Bayer in Europe or Nutrien in North America that are working on these solutions. Um, and they are an attractive debt investment given their advantage in scale and stable cash flow. 
And what are some of the portfolio-wide investment implications? So our report highlights a few portfolio-wide implications, but to sort of close the circle and go back to the need for evolution, I really want to highlight ESG, um, so environment, social, and governance investing. I really want to highlight ESG, and that is in big part um, because we believe that this food system could be the next frontier in ESG investing. And there are clearly no perfect solutions to the many issues and tensions around the food system that we mentioned. But given the devastating impact it has on the climate, there is a growing recognition that it needs to play a vital role in achieving ESG goals. And if, for example, if we just go back to the growing meat demand and its investment opportunity, one option for ESG-minded investors is to exclude or ignore it given the environmental impact that comes with meat production. But our argument is really that rather than closing your eyes and hoping for a miracle, investors really need to tackle the issue by engaging with every aspect of the food, of food production, including meat, and support innovative incumbents and innovative technology-driven startups that are finding new ways to mitigate and reduce the impact agriculture has on the environment. And are there some um, companies at the moment that you see that are getting um, an advance on these trends? Uh, so a large part of it is um, big global players, right? So there sort of has been a consensus and an understanding that the way we grow food is not sustainable. So even the largest producers of fertilizers and pesticides are aware of the negative externalities and the impact that comes with those on the environment. And they are really working hard on finding new ways such as biologicals or um, there are anim animal food producers who are trying to find ways that feed grains could reduce the methane emission from animals. So it's really, it's in big part, it is the big global market players, but it's also some of the startups um, that are that are really a great investment opportunity. As you said in the start of the Megatrends report, we often underestimate the extent and magnitude of the food system. Can you break it down and tell us what the situation is? Uh, so, of course, right on the, on the one hand, and we touched already on it, on the... We, we touched on the sort of on the on the negative side of the food system and its impact on the environment. But if you just look at it from how big the food system really is, it's quite astounding, right? It's um, it's providing well above ten percent of global GDP, and it is it is responsible for forty percent of the global so forty percent of the global workforce is working in the food system, which is, is just a pretty impressive number. Mm. Yeah. And where do you see food consumption going in the next few years? So the, the, the biggest part is probably is, is really around affluence and converging diets. And so when it, affluence is really a big part of it is meat. Um, and that is 
often underestimated in in developed countries because for us that is it is no longer really a desire or it's not really something more meat um, we're consuming enough but really when you look at it countries at the beginning or at the lowest income category really your plate might just be rice and beans right and so as your income increases you really want to start to replace some of that with meat and with more resource intense food and so that means that going forward our food system will even require more energy to produce and meet that demand for for meat um, for fruits and sort of that is really so that is one big driver that is really the sort of the growing affluence and then converging diets is really just about everything is coming a little bit of the same right so if you look at the statistics for example south korea in the 1960s only 10% of their diet was that so-called western diet in 2020 that number stood at 60% and that is something that you see all across the globe where more and more of the food is similar to each other but it also it increases the distance that it needs to travel it is more reliant on cold storage and that is those are the big two drivers um, when you look at demand and Jacob what about just pure population growth even if people stayed consuming what they currently do with population growth for the next say 20 years are we on track with that or does something have to happen to meet the demand so that is that is a big part as well right um, so over the next 30 years by 2050, really food demand is set to increase by 60%, um, just given population growth and income growth. And so that takes us sort of takes us back to where population growth is happening. And most countries are facing declining population populations. And really population growth going forward will be concentrated in the sub-Saharan African region and South Asia. And so it's really that combination of population growth and income that will shape the demand side of the future food system. Thank you very much for your time today, Jacob. That's been a really fascinating discussion. Thank you for having me, Julia. It was great. 